Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. As we, the community, have gathered here, I would like to pose a question. How do you sum up a life in a few words? How do you measure the weight of a soul in a matter of moments? You do not. You cannot. But you can pray for rest. And you can pray for life. And you can remember. You can always remember. In the old days, at the death of someone, a priest would pray in Latin at the burial. Requiem aeternium, donai es domine, et lux perpetua, luciet es, in memoria aeterna, erit istus, ab adonatone mala non timbet. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let light perpetual shine upon them. He shall be justified in everlasting memory and shall not fear evil reports. We find ourselves this evening in the second movement of the Triduum, the three great services of Holy Week. It's actually one service with three parts over three days. And tonight we stand before our Lord hanging on the cross. What are the words that we should say about him? What are the things that we should consider? Our feelings get in the way of understanding, don't they? They're confused and clouded. In this case, our feelings are correct, even as our minds strain to understand them. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah describes this moment in a poetic vision where he describes the life of the servant. In chapters 52 and 53, the prophet is envisioning an experience in which the people of Judah will long for the arm of the Lord to deliver them. In his vision, the people of Judah are in captivity in Babylon. Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed. They are not their own people. They are not in their land. And they're not able to worship Yahweh as they want. And they're being punished for their disobedience to the covenant. And Isaiah's vision is for those in exile who are discouraged and forlorn over their sin. It's a vision not only for the exiles, but for us as well. For in a sense, we too find ourselves in exile from the Lord. Isaiah's vision is not only for his era, but for ours. And tonight, we take uneasy comfort in the vision of the suffering servant. Isaiah brings to climax God's comfort of his people. He insists that their sin has not alienated themselves from God, 
but that God has found a way to bring them back to him through the arm of the Lord. He says in chapter 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This idea is repeated again in our passage that we read from chapter 53 when he says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Quite honestly, this is good news. From their discouragement and exile, they have the anticipation of good things to come. We need that encouragement too. Remember, it was just last Sunday that we celebrated here the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as the king. We walked down this aisle waving palm branches and cheering and celebrating, only to slam to an emotional halt last night as we remembered his arrest and his beating and stripping. Up until his arrest, honestly, there was a joyful hopefulness that Jesus was the one whom God had finally sent to remove Israel from their oppression and eternally reign in the presence of King David's throne on his throne. The disciples thought that the arm of the Lord was being revealed as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And tonight we feel the emotional whiplash. One moment joyful anticipation and the next utter disbelief and confusion. The arm of the Lord is displayed for sure. This is where our confusion comes. Isaiah has previously given hints of this saving arm of the Lord. Chapters 42 and 49 and 50. He noted that God has promised to deliver not only his own people by means of his obedient servant, but the entire world. And we begin the poem with anticipation of victory. Isaiah says, see, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Like the disciples on Palm Sunday, we're not expecting the are we not expecting the victor to be powerful? A conquering hero who proudly delivers his needy people from their suffering with great splendor, pageantry and celebration. Are we not expecting the hero in the same manner Really, that all heroes have been described in literature and art, heads and shoulders above all others. A conquering hero, always strong and powerful, full of authority, confident and handsome. Someone who people desire to look at. That hero is described as the arm of the Lord. Strong. Able to deliver. And yet... As Isaiah reminds us, the arm of the Lord also brings judgment. Judgment that crushes. The image that Isaiah uses here are confusing. For the hero, the obedient servant who delivers was not what was expected. The arm of the Lord is the suffering servant. The disfigurement of the servant is utterly shocking. He hardly appears to be human. He's not attractive 
any longer. He doesn't look like so many of the world's conquerors have been or pretended to be. It's hard to understand and imagine. So marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. Jesus was beaten to a bloody pulp so that he was unrecognizable. What is your response? Isaiah 52 verse 15 says, He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Sprinkle can also be translated startle. He will startle many nations. Kings are struck dumb by the thought that the supposed conqueror has actually come to purify the nations by sprinkling his own blood. Isaiah uses the imagery of animal sacrifice to pay for the sins of the people. You recall the first Passover meal. The blood of the lamb was placed on the doorposts of each house as coverings for the the people there. The sprinkling of blood of a sacrifice was a means of purification in sin, guilt, and burnt offerings. And it was understood that the blood of the sacrifice made the sinful individual pure. The sacrificial lamb gave its life to remove the sins of the people. Isaiah says of Jesus, it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin. The blood of Jesus was sprinkled on us at the cross. Isaiah's poem moves from initial surprise and astonishment to outright rejection. This certainly cannot be the arm of the Lord, for the servant comes in an unassuming way. He has no initial beauty or attractiveness to draw people to himself, and he he takes on the pain and sickness of the world. This servant was an individual who knew the sorrows of the world and fully identified with humankind. He came from humble means. He was born in a cave with the animals. He was poor. He came from uneducated Galilee. He was rejected by religious leaders. And he is one who is beaten beyond recognition. It was concluded there was no way Isaiah's servant could possibly be worth anything. And he was therefore rejected. And so we turn our own faces from him and we ignore him and we despise him and we give him no voice in our lives for he could not possibly be the savior. In verse, verses four through six, Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. If there were any question about why the servant suffers, we are now confronted with the answer. Despite what we thought, He's not suffering because God has inflicted deserved punishment upon him. 
It's our suffering that he bore. This has been done for us. And Jesus has suffered in our place. Verse 6 says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus takes upon himself the very curse of God. Therefore, he is struck down. He is wounded and crushed and punished. This is unjust, is it not? We have a sense that someone who does evil deserves punishment. But here... In this story, we see the Holy One suffering for sins done by others, by us, by me. He suffered in order that he might bring restoration, wholeness and healing. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole and with his wounds we are healed. The benefits of the vicarious suffering of the servant included reconciliation to God and forgiveness. He carried the sins and guilt of the people. Therefore, he was able to bring the people of God back into fellowship with their heavenly father. All humankind has gone astray, but through the suffering servant, there is still the possibility of peace and healing. In verses seven through nine, Isaiah notices that this is suffering that's unjust. He says as much, by a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? Jesus was an up-and-coming young rabbi who seemed to be building a significant following, and yet he was cut off from the land of the living and buried in death with the wicked. We who have sinned deserve the just punishment for our wrongdoing. We deserve death. Jesus did not, yet he took those sins upon himself, fully associating himself with us and died with us. And more importantly, he died for us. What's happening here? The arm of the Lord crushed our wickedness in Jesus. The lamb was led to the slaughter on our behalf. Quietly, he received the judgment from God because he bore that judgment for others. Why have these things happened? Isaiah concludes his poem noting that these things are not accidental, but the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. Verse 10. What kind of father would do this to a son? There must have been some greater good. Isaiah suggests that the life of Jesus as a sin offering means that he will have offspring and see prosperity. The servant did not come to tell the people what God wants. Rather, he came to be what God wants for us on our behalf. Jesus came to be our penalty for sin and suffered death upon the cross, that any who have faith in him would be given eternal life and freedom from sin and exist in relationship with God forever. Tonight, we remember and live into his death. Let his death sit upon you this night. 
Let the realization that someone else died for you weigh heavy upon you. Don't rush to Sunday. It won't be a good Friday until Sunday anyway. Still, Isaiah says, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore our sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The arm of the Lord brings judgment upon Jesus. What should fall upon me falls upon him. My judgment upon Jesus. The judgment that belongs to all humanity because of our sin is dealt with upon Jesus. It is finally finished. Somehow this is both horrible and beautiful all at the same time. How do we understand this? And how do we respond to this suffering one? Tonight, as we remember and live into this Holy Week passion, we do have the opportunity to respond in a few minutes. At the end of the service, we will have the opportunity to respond. And it will be an awkward moment for us, as it should be. At the end of the service, We'll have a time to make special devotion to our Lord, to come forward and kneel at the cross, to place our sins there on the cross, an instrument of pain and destruction and death. And you're invited to bring your sins symbolically, written on the corner of your bulletin, perhaps, or in the insert, to the cross. Bring them to the cross and pin them there where they belong. They are not yours anymore. They are the Lord's. He has dealt with them in his death. These actions may be quite awkward and uncomfortable, and yet perhaps they're helpful toward understanding the depth of the passion of Christ. Is the cross something that should be idolized? No. But it is a way for us to remember the sufferings that the servant of the Lord endured on our behalf. This is a way for us to realize, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the thousandth time, that Jesus takes away sin in his death. Because the suffering and death he endured, he endures for us encourage you to be courageous in coming forward. And in doing so, remember what Hebrews says. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised it is faithful. Amen. They took your life. They could not take your breath.